0: the next several weeks um, here on sunday mornings you're going to be hearing from various pastors and teachers from here at the well and we're going to be focusing on the christmas story Uh, i'm excited about what december is going to look like we have just come through the shortest longest year ever in the history of the world and there's a sense of Right There's just this sense of burden, I don't care where you are or where you sit, it's just been different this year, and change leads to a little bit of angst. But it's my opinion, and I believe uh, hearing from just the heart of other, others that have spoken in leadership in our church, that God wants to bring us through a season of encouragement, of getting our minds right, and of seeing the truth as it needs to be seen regardless of circumstances. So, we're going to be dealing with Christmas and coming from different angles, and I'll be honest with you, when I, when I first started preparing for this sermon earlier this week, I got to thinking about just the sheer number of times this topic has been talked about, preached about, how many evangelists and pastors and teachers have stood up in front of congregations just like this for the last 2,000 years, and taken maybe three or four chapters of Scripture that deal with the Christmas story, how many times has that message been preached? Next to the story of Calvary itself, I dare say that there has not been another biblical topic so thoroughly discussed, preached, or commented on than the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to let you into a little secret. Every time a pastor or a teacher gets up here, there's a part of us that really wants to give you something new. There really is. I can't explain it I mean, we like to see the fruits of our ministry. We like to see something that God lays on our heart, encourage you in such a way and just transform you. And you walk out the door and say, man, I never heard that before. That was really life-changing. So there's this propensity of God's people to stand up here and preach just to kind of preach that message. But when it comes to the topic of Christian, uh, I'm sorry, Christmas, Man, there's not a whole lot of wiggle room in there anymore, man. The shepherd's been preached ad nauseum, right? The wise men coming and still seeking him. You know, Mary's been talked about, Joseph. We got Annas, or we've got the, um, who was the old guy? Joplin was the old guy that could. Old man. Yeah, the old man. Okay, thank you. There's that tag team. I like that. We, uh... Luke somewhere, Luke 1 or 2, you know, the guy that couldn't die until he saw the Messiah and he saw him, prayed him over him in the temple. All these, Simeon, thank you very much. She's more spiritual than you might be. I don't know. <laughs> Ouch, sorry. I'll, I'll be preaching six months probably after that comment. <clears throat> they have all been talked about. There's nothing new. Um, we're called to preach every, uh, preach the word, but, you know, as preachers, we want to we wanna find, you know, something new to be able to give you. Many times we feel like that's the one thing, the linchpin that connects you in and gets you to listen. And many times these pivotal moments in people's lives occur when they see something in Scripture for the first time. But it's just not the case with the Christmas story. When it comes to the Christmas story, especially in our American church culture where we have been so inundated with this topic Over and over again, I can't help but think that there's some sense of God's people just wanting to stick it on autopilot as we go through December, because we've heard this before. We've heard about little baby Jesus coming in the manger. It's actually become part of our holiday tradition. And instead of looking for life change, we are looking for something inspirational. We want something warm and fuzzy. Man, that was a really good Christmas sermon. Uh, we were looking for great oratory skills. We've made the Christmas message part of the ceremony. We've become so familiar with the nativity that we do not look for God to draw us deeper into our knowledge of him if we're not careful. So there's this sense of, as we move into this month of, man, God, I don't want it to just be something that rolls off the ears of the hearers. But the truth is, the reason the Christmas story has been preached so much and the reason why it's so beautiful is because, I thought Andrew was coming forward already. Hallelujah. I didn't know. If, I'm on a roll this morning, man. I'm just. There's this sense of, we've heard it all before, but if we get the truth, of the Christmas message and the heartbeat of God and what he's trying to communicate, it has the ability to change the very direction of your life. So I want to encourage you as we move through this and various pastors begin to preach and talk that you don't let yourself get Christmas fatigue. It's a real deal. And you really listen And you say, God, open my heart to hear what is being taught. I'm reminded of the young preacher who recently became a pastor of his first church. It was an established church, and boy, he was really good with his words. First Sunday morning sermon, he preached with great eloquence and power. He awed his congregation with deep truths and tear-jerking illustrations and powerful applications and gave a dynamic delivery. And afterwards, as he was shaking hands of folks on the way out, the people just swooned over him, man. They were patting him on the back and shaking his hand and telling him how thankful they were that he was now their lead shepherd. The older, sage-like Christians of the faith nodded their heads in approval as he would preach, thinking, man, this is how it used to be. Following week, the congregation came back. They were hungry to be wowed again by the ability of that preacher. But much to their surprise, the pastor opened his text to the same exact text he had opened the week before. He gave the same points, told the same illustrations, and delivered word for word the exact same sermon. But it was a pretty good sermon. And even though they'd heard it before, the flock listened again. Man, they amened in the right spot. They cried at the tear-jerking illustrations. They were so excited to hear it, And still gave accolades, but after the third week of exactly the same sermon, people began to wonder. And after the fourth week of the same sermon, the phone lines began to burn up between the church gossips. What in the world are we paying this guy for? Does he only have one good sermon? Five weeks go by, and the board's starting to get a little bit worried because they put their, you know, their, their, their full trust in this guy and presented this guy to the new church, and they're starting to get weird phone calls. And after two months in, as the preacher stood up on a Sunday morning to read the exact same text he had read previous, uh, the previous weeks before, Brother Johnson. Do we have any Brother Johnsons in here? I was trying to pick a last name that I wouldn't offend anybody. Okay, good. Brother Johnson, you know who that is, the self-proclaimed, you know, Sage of the church stands up in the middle of the text reading. And says, Pastor, when we hired you to come in here, we hired you expecting you to give us something new. We expected you to have something fresh for us week by week. We understood that you would deliver to us the entire word of God, but instead these past several months, you have just preached to us the same exact sermon over and over again, but you need to know, we have heard this all before. The young pastor who was wise beyond his ears, with tears in his eyes, looked at his congregation lovingly and said, Well, you've heard this sermon before. God has shown me that you have yet to truly hear it in the depths of your soul. And as soon as God reveals to me that you have truly heard and understood and lived and practiced the truths of sermon number one, we will move on to sermon number two. And I want to challenge us this morning to not, Be that congregation. There is a little fear that I have this morning as we work through the message that God has placed in my heart to give you this morning that is going to be so simple that you have heard this literally hundreds of times before that it will roll off of your ears and you will feel it. You'll get it carnally, but you won't get it in the depths of your spirit. So, I want to challenge you this morning. Open the ears of your heart to hear the truth of God's word. This morning, I was actually reading through Luke chapter, I think it's eight or nine. I'm somewhere in Luke. And I was actually working through, and uh, Jesus told the parable of the sower. Usually, read that on Mark chapter four, but uh, I believe it's four, but Luke chapter is where this morning. And I got to thinking, God, my prayer for our church today is that we have the heart of the good ground. We don't have the stony heart, right, where it just hits and it just kind of starts to kick in, but it's really superficial and there's no life change. We don't want the heart of the guy that's, you know, full of the cares of the world, that we just walk out the doors and there's really no life change because we've just, you know, got too much going on and the word doesn't have the ability to take root and grow. God, give us this morning the good soil. God, give us this morning the good heart who is ready to hear, to receive, to obey, and to live out the truths that you have for us. So as we enter the Christmas season, don't tune out the spiritual truths that God is trying to communicate to you. I know that each of us has heard it all before. Literally, We have heard this all before. But it's my prayer that you will truly hear these truths in the depths of your soul. Because if you do, if you truly get what the Christmas story communicates, your life will never really be the same. It won't. If you truly connect in your spirit What God is trying to say to us through the Christmas message, it has the power to redirect the very trajectory of your life. It has the power to transform you from the inside out. So what I offer you today is nothing new, yet I pray that God make it very new for you today. Don't let it roll off your ears. Don't leave unchanged. Don't leave unmoved. Don't leave untransformed. So let's listen on purpose. I've got four things today that the Christmas story teaches me or lessons from the Christmas story. Here's the first one. You ready? It's really deep. God really does love you. I told you it's not anything you've never heard before. I know you've heard it. I walked in the church door this morning and I picked up a card and you know what it says? God loves you. We have seen signs like this for as long as we've probably been alive. We've seen them on baseball, right? Baseball, Tony, this the guy in St. Louis, hold up, God loves you, John 3. We have so been so inundated with this phrase that there's this just capacity that, yeah, okay, I know, right, God loves me. Like, I didn't learn that the very first week I ever came to Sunday school. This is not new, but I want to say it again. God really does love you. And I want to put this in context as we move forward. I want to take you back in your mind's eye. I want you to go back to the very worst day of your life. I want you to go back to that one moment that you were the most broken. I want you to go back right now in your mind's eye to the very place where you had to deal with the most difficult moment of your life. I mean when the doctor had some news for you that shook your world. I mean the moment when the relationship that you relied on that you thought was going to be there the entire time all of a sudden was no more. I'm talking about that moment where you had to say goodbye to somebody long before you ever thought you'd have to say goodbye to them as you stand over the casket of their, of, uh, of, of, of their body. I want you to go to that moment right now in your mind's eye and I want you to listen to the words I want to communicate this morning. God really does love you. What are your thoughts in that moment? Where are you right now? What's your response? Be honest with you. I think if we're honest with ourselves today, There's a part of us that says, God, I hear you saying it, but I don't really believe it. Because if you really meant those words to me, then why am I in so much pain? But listen to me again. Here it is, ready? God really does, he really does love you. I know, God, I I know that you say that you do, but if you did, then how could you do this to me? I mean, I look all around at people of my peers and even those that are unsaved, and I look at how their lives look, and they don't have to deal with the pain that I'm dealing with right now. It seems like how you're treating me is unjust. And I'm looking at my experience, and I'm hearing you say, yeah, that you love me, but there's a real part of me that struggles with this truth. Listen to me this morning. God, really, he really, he really does love you. I hesitate even going to John chapter 3 and verse number 16 because it's probably the verse we all learned the very first one we had to learn in Sunday school. If you've been connected to a church for any period of time at all, there's this sense of, I've heard John 3, 16. And you're like, I need something new. I need something life transforming. I know all that stuff. Listen, listen, listen. Open the ears of your heart this morning to really hear that God so loved I mean, he's seen and just love you. He so loved you. It is, there's so amazing, so big, there's really no other word to put there to talk about the affection and love that God has for you. Singular you. Not the world. Yes, he loves the world, but he loves you. You're the one he was willing to leave the 99 and find. You're the one that he laid aside all there was in the glories of heaven to put on earthly flesh to go to a cross and there pay your sin debt because listen, God really, really does love you. Truth is, we've got to hear this by faith. We have to. The difference between The spiritual mature Christian and the weak carnal Christian really comes down to how I choose to accept the truth of God's word. The spiritually immature Christian will take God's word and look at it in light of their experience. And they will take the truth but they'll put on their glasses of their experience and they will allow God's word to be interpreted by their experience. And that's why we struggle with things like God really loves us. And then the spiritually mature says, man, I'm going to lay aside what my experience is showing me. I'm going to lay aside what it seems like God is trying to do right now, hell, I'm setting that all aside and I am choosing to see the word of God as it was intended to be given and I am choosing to believe that is truth in light of my experience. How would your life look? How would it make you feel if you really accepted the fact that God really, really does love you? How would it change the news? How would it change the transitions that happen in life? Because life is full of changes. If you just really grab the truth, God loves me. I want to take you back to another moment in your life to put this in perspective. I want to take you back to the moment right after your worst failure. I mean, that one moment right after you did the one thing that you wish nobody knew about. The one thing that you don't like to talk about. The one thing you're ashamed to even bring up. The one thing that you actually enjoyed and it disgusts you that you enjoyed that moment of sin. And I want you to listen yet again. God, really, does love you. God, how? How? Right now, I'm feeling nothing but shame. God, right now, I'm feeling nothing but disgust at myself. I have this sense that really this is all that I really am. I am defined by this very Moment and I hate it. I can't even love myself, God. So, how in the world can I really believe that the God of all heaven, the God who spoke and the earth was created, how can I even begin to accept the fact that God, you love me? Because, God, I'm a mess. I am damaged. I don't even love myself. I'm a failure. I'm weak. I am so unworthy. Listen to it again. God, really, really, he does. He loves you. Do you hear it? In the depths of your spirit, do you hear it? Do you receive it? Get off the glasses of your experience. Get off the glasses of your failures. Get off the glasses of what the world tells you, you ought to see and see God's word as he meant for you to hear it. He really, really loves you. How would that change your life? What confidence would that give you in your relationship with your heavenly father? Hallelujah. We wouldn't shy away in fear. We wouldn't shy away thinking that God's ready to turn us into some greasy spot on the road because we've messed it up so bad. Instead, we see the loving heart of the Father who says, I have made a way for you to have access to me because I really, really do love you. God, no, you don't. I'm unlovely. God, no, you don't. I don't even love myself. God, no, you don't, because I can never be loved because there is something so wrong with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only begotten son. That's what the Christmas story tells me. See, Jesus chose to lay aside his I can't, I don't even know how to explain this. But I know it's true because the Bible teaches it. Jesus is God. He was there at creation. I mean, He's there. But He made Himself, the Bible says, a little lower than the angels. He limited Himself, He put on human flesh. He knows exactly what you're going through because He experienced it as a man. In human flesh. And I think there's a side of it like, well, yeah, but he was Jesus, and he knew it was all going to turn out okay. Well, listen, I'm a believer, and I know it's going to all turn out okay, but I really struggle. It's the truth. You know, Jesus knew what it was like to lose a loved one that was close to him. But he knew it. He knew the pain. I'm not going to debate you this morning, but it's my opinion that his earthly father Joseph, somewhere between the age of 12 and the age of 30, passed on. Bible didn't say it for sure. We just know he was there when he was 12, and he was gone by the time Jesus was 30. Was, There's was no more mention of him. We see Mary, we see the brothers, his brothers and sisters. We don't see Joseph. I don't think Joseph just hightailed and ran away from the family and left it. I mean, this was the one person in the history of the world that God entrusted to have influence in his only begotten son's life on this side of heaven. I I think the guy had some character. I believe he poured into Jesus as his earthly father the lessons that every father should be pouring into his children. But somewhere between the age of 12 and the age of 30, he's gone, man. Jesus experienced that as a human. Listen, one of the hardest things we'll go through that I've gone through is saying goodbye to somebody I love. It's hard, and I've heard it. Yeah, I know it's going to work out, but it's just hard. It's not an easy moment. But here's what you need to hear. God really loves you. He identifies with you. Jesus knew what it was like to not know where to lay his head. Jesus knew what it was like to not have enough money to pay his taxes. He knew. Lord, we got to pay our taxes. Where are we going to get money? Go, go fishing, Peter. You're going to find some money in the fi- mouth of a fish. They were that broke. I mean, they weren't just Kraft macaroni and cheese broke. Amen. We've been there. They weren't just ramen noodle soup and Spam broke. Hallelujah. Ever throw some spam at some ramen noodles? It's pretty good stuff. They were flat broke. Jesus know what that was like. He can succor you. The Bible says those who are in need. We can obtain grace to help in time of need because he experienced it. Why? Because Christmas teaches me that God really loves me. He knows more about me than I do. He knows how to help me. He knows how to encourage me. He knows how to bring me along the way. Second thing this morning. You can really, really trust the plan God is working out in your life. What does Christmas teach me? It teaches me that you really, really can trust the plan God is working out in your life. Consider with me the opportune moment that Christ comes on the scene. It's the end of the Old Testament. If you get to the end of the the Old Testament, there's this sense of complete and utter failure on the part of the Jewish people. The Old Testament deals primarily with the nation of Israel. God working out his plan and calling them out of Egypt and raising up Moses and Joshua and conquering the land and setting up the kingdom and David and Solomon. But then we start to see division set in. We've got a northern kingdom, a southern kingdom. These are God's people. This is God's plan. This is how God has manifested Himself in the world at this time, and we see these people begin to walk in sin. And Assyria comes and takes captive the ten northern tribes of Israel. Then Babylon comes and takes the two southern tribes of Judah. And by the time we get to the end of the of the Old Testament, it looks like God's plan just ain't working, man. It looks like what He set out to do is a complete and utter mess. God, do you really know what you're doing? Are you really in control? I mean, and furthermore, from the end of the Old Testament until, I almost fell off right there. Did you see that? That was like ninja skills. All right. From the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, there's 400 years that Bible scholars call the silent years where there is no prophetic word. There is no prophetic vision. There's just nothing going on spiritually. It seems like everything is lost. One of the most depressing books you'll read in the Old Testament is the book of Lamentations. There's a couple verses in there that are really cool, like God's mercies are new every morning, but you read the book, it's a lamentation. Jeremiah is bawling his eyes out and saying, God, what happened to your plan? It's a mess. This is the moment Christ comes on the scene. It's in this moment when it seems like the plan of God has fallen short, has failed. It's in this moment where people haven't heard from heaven in 400, 400 years. That's like 1620. Teenagers, that was before Wi-Fi. Oh, my goodness. 400 years. I mean, that's before America was here. It's before we had, like, cars and, I mean, I don't even know how they lived back then. I just They were still saying these and thou's. They would be using the king. This is before the King James 16, right, right at the same time the King James came out. We would be saying these and thou's and using words you don't even understand anymore. 400 years it's been. God, where are you? God, it looks like you don't know what you're doing. Matter of fact, there's been four political systems, world powers that have come and gone. Babylon rises up, then Medes and the Persians, and then Greece, and now we got Rome. Man, Rome is running things. They are immoral, they are pagan, they are hateful, they are cruel, they're sexually immoral. This is who's running the show. God, do you really know what you're doing? God, I haven't heard from you in 400 years. God must not have any clue what's going on. It's in this moment that Christ comes. In the midst of darkness, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of chaos, God says resoundingly, yes, I really am working out a perfect plan. Thank God that he has moved in my life, but I know there are seasons I'll go through that it seems like it's the darkest hour of my life. God, I really need to hear from you. It seems like everything that you have been bringing to pass is an utter failure right now. I was better off before I even turned to follow you with my life. Isn't that the lies the enemy puts in our head? Get off the glasses of experience. Step into spiritual maturity and see the Word of God for what it truly means. I'm not giving you anything you haven't heard this morning. I'm just saying, let's hear it with a new heart. Let's hear it and apply it. What would your life look like? How would it make you feel? If you just settled once and for all, I believe I know what God is doing with my life. I I got it. I believe it. What would it look like? The genealogy in Matthew chapter number one paints this picture of, you know, from Abraham to Christ. And it talks about the generations that led from Abraham to Christ. And as you look through the genealogy of, of Christmas, you're going to see names in there and think, wow, I can't believe those people made it in the genealogy of Christ. I mean, we know Abraham's there. and We know Abraham was the father of many nations. But, man, you read the story of Abraham, I think there's as much negative to talk about Abraham as there was positive. I know at the end of his life, God brought him to where he wanted to bring him. But, man, it was a really wonky path to get him there. And then you look at Jacob. Jacob just was, I don't know, I mean, God used him, changed his name, hallelujah. But he was a deceiver and kind of a wuss he'd run from the fight, man. The dude sent out his wife and kids in front of him to his angry brother just in case if he was still mad, he could still get away by sacrifice. That's how I read it. may not be how you read it, but I just don't see a real man there. But he's in the genealogy. Well, God, how can you take people that are full of failure and still accomplish a plan? David was an adulterer. He's in there. Manasseh and Ammon are in there. These are two kings of Judah who were so wicked. The Bible says that they made Judah to sin even greater than the pagan nations. These guys are in the genealogy of Christ. Man, I'm thinking, Lord, you don't know what you're doing. Look at all this failure that's there. Look at all the mess that's there. But we get to the end of Matthew chapter number one. And here's what Matthew says. From the time of Abraham to the time of David is 14 generations. And from the time of David to the time of the captivity was 14 generations. And from the captivity to Christ was 14 generations. It's almost as if God was working out a supernatural plan the entire time that man couldn't mess up. Whew. God has given us free will. I thank God for free will. God is a gentleman. He's never going to force his way in your life. But God is sovereign. He is in control. And you need to hear this morning that your failures in your past isn't enough to mess up what God's future plans are for you. And somehow you messed up your life so bad I can never be what God intended me to be. Whew. I know I've heard that too. Listen to it this morning. Here in the depths of your spirit. God is really working out a perfect plan. I can't explain why we're in the middle of a pandemic, and moms and dads got to figure out how I do school at home with my kids. who can't go to school, but I still got to make money. And, you know, we got this forbearance, and I haven't paid my mortgage in a couple months, and I gone, you know, I'm i not in bankruptcy yet and foreclosure yet because I'm not allowed to, but I got all this pressure. I can't explain why we're in the middle of this. I can't. But here's what I know. God loves you, and he is in control. And I can't explain why you got bad news. I can't explain. I can't explain why he gives this person cancer and this person lives till they're 95 and smokes 20 packs of cigarettes a day. I can't figure that out. But here's what I know God is working out a perfect plan in your life. And he knows where you're at. He knows what it's like to face a certain hurtful, painful death. He knew it in the garden. He knew. He knew it was coming. It's going to be ugly and painful, and I don't want to go through it. But here's what I know. God is working out a perfect plan in your life. Trust the heart of your Father. It's a heart that loves you. It's a heart that has the best for you. Matter of fact, we can't even begin to see the great things that God has prepared for those that love Him. It's the truth this morning. Looking back, we see that it all made sense. There is divine order to God's plan. He's not reacting to the chaos of the world. He's proactive. You know, one of the lies the enemy throws at us is to somehow take all the hurt, the turmoil, the bad news, the, you know, pain, the suffering, the, you know, the bitterness in our world, the unforgiveness, all the violence and take it all and somehow attribute that as if it were God's fault. And it happens with God's people. It really does. Matter of fact, the enemy will use this lie to keep people from even coming to Christ. Well, I can't trust the heart of God. Look at all the disease. Look at all the heartache. Look at all the problems that there is. And these somehow are God's fault. You need to understand this is not the result of a heavenly father who loves you. The Bible says this, by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. So destruction, disease, chaos, confusion, hatred, you know, all bitterness, unforgiveness, all that stuff that we live in was not God's original intention for this world. In fact, it's the reason why he came. He came to rescue us from that mess, His heart is of love and compassion, but somehow the enemy's got us thinking that if God really loved me, I would never get bad news, and that is just a lie from Satan this morning. You need to know that God's plan for you is perfect. I'm not saying he's gonna fix it on this side of the grave, but when we put this life in comparison to eternity, it looks like a vapor. Ready? And it's gone. God's got so much more for you on the other side of the breath of life. He does. God really, really does love you. You can really trust the plan God is working out in your life. Jesus is really, really worth searching after. That's what Christmas tells me. The shepherds searched for him, didn't they? Lowest of the low. No one grew up and said, I want to be a shepherd when I grow up. Not in Jesus' day. But that's who the angels appeared to. And you know what they did? They forsook all and they followed after. We got to find this guy, man. The wise men searched for him. I mean, the rich. The ones that had something to give. And God made them go a little further than he made the shepherds go. I don't know how long their journey was. Some people say six months. Some people say 18 months, whatever. I just know that they went a really, really long journey and they brought with them the best that they had, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they're headed to go find Jesus because he is worth searching for. Herod even looked for him. He got this news. What about this king of it? Who is this king? I'm going to go looking for him. Now, his heart was not to know Christ. His heart was to snuff him out. But I don't care who you are or where you are. There is a propensity inside of you. There is a void inside of you that only Christ can fill. And that is who you need to be searching for. And I promise you, he is worth the reward. Oh man, if we could just see it. If we could just see the reward that we have in Christ. There's not enough time. There's not enough, I don't think there's enough time in the history of the world to explain efficiently and completely the riches that we have in Christ Jesus. Paul called them the unsearchable riches of Christ. We could start today and go a whole lifetime We get to the end of our life and take all that knowledge that we accrued about the riches of Christ, impart it into another one of us, and take another 70, 80 years. We could do that from now until the end of time, and we still wouldn't understand the greatness of the reward that we have in Christ. He is worth searching for. Somebody once said that the value of something is found in what you're willing to give up for it, or beauty is in the eye of the beholder. How much are you willing to give for this. Now, we know that God with us gave everything. He gave the very best that he could give to have relationship with us. But so many people today want this cheap way that I can just get God and I can search for him and, uh, you know, he's just here all the time. Listen, it may cost you some things. If you truly want to be found, if you truly want to find Christ, and by the way, he does want to be found. He does. If you haven't found him yet, because you ain't looking, that's just how it is. It's not like he's playing hide and seek and laughing because you can't find him. He wants to be found by you. But listen, it's going to take a little effort on your part. It may cost you. A long journey from where you live with gold, silver, and I'm sorry, gold, myrrh, and frankincense to get to where Christ is. That may be what God calls you to do. It may be that you're in the field, and you've got to leave all that's there and rush into the city and find the baby lying in a manger. I don't know, but here's what I know. Searching for Christ is going to cost you something, and if it doesn't cost you anything, does it really have any value to you? Well, God, I, I want to give you my leftovers. real valuable, could you imagine if you gave your wife the leftovers of your time and affection? Man, we're used to that, aren't we? Sometimes we do. We're guilty. I'm guilty. But if that's all I gave my wife, you know what impression I would give to her? She's just not real valuable to me. My kids want access to me, and I just give them, you know, I've got, you know, let me do all this other stuff first, and then I'll give you this. time. Listen, to search for Christ, it's going to cost you some time. It's going to cost you some stuff. It's going to cost you some relationships. But the kingdom of God is like a pearl of great price. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a treasure that has been buried into a field. And when a a wise man sees it, he sells everything that he has because everything else pales in comparison to the great treasure that is found in Christ. He is worth searching for. And lastly this morning as I close, God really, really does love you. God really is working out a perfect plan. Jesus Christ is really, really worth searching for. And lastly, you really, really do need saving. You do. It is hard for us to accept grace. It's hard. It's not easy. It is hard for us to hum. That's why Jesus says you've got to be like a little child. It's easy for kids to accept love. But it's really hard for us to accept love. Because we know us. It's really hard for us to humbly receive what God has for us. But it doesn't change the fact that you need saving. You do. It's your greatest need. Matter of fact, it is this one thing that makes the other three make sense. God really does love you. That's why he came to save you. God is working out a perfect plan in your life. He's rescuing you from your sin. He's worth searching after because he is the only answer. There is no other name among heaven given whereby you must be saved, that is only through Jesus Christ. Yeah. You need saving. Now there's two groups of people that need saving. There's those that have never repented of their sin. You're not a child of the heavenly father, you're a child of the devil himself. You're a child of sin. You're born once, going to die twice, man. You've been born physically, but you've never been born again spiritually. And when you die here on this earth, you're going to die the second death in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever. Well, Jason, I just don't so like that news. Well, I don't like the news when the giants lose either, but sometimes you just got to accept the facts. It's the truth. You're going to split hell wide open, man. If you don't turn from your sin, if you do not repent of your sin and turn to Christ And let him rescue you. You have no hope of heaven. I said he had to rescue you. I didn't say he came to bail you out. That's how most of us want it, isn't it? Man, I'm in this mess, God. I'm reaping all the consequences of my sin, and I just want to get bailed out. God, would you just bail me out, but I still want my sin. That's not what saving is. That's what today's church is preaching lots of places, isn't it? Just add Jesus to your life. Keep on keeping on. He's going to sweep it all under the carpet anyway. He'll bail you out. No, Jesus isn't interested in being your bailout guy. Jesus is interested in being your Savior because you need saved. And if you've not been saved by the grace of God this morning, there is no better day than today. Oh, man, today is the day of salvation. The only thing that's going to keep you back is your pride. Oof, that's all it is. It's you being unwilling to humble yourself and receive the grace that God has for you because you do need saving. Men have a hard time with this. We like no one wants to be the damsel in distress in the story. We want to be the hero. You ain't the hero of your story. You're the damsel in distress in your story. Jesus is the hero. If you don't let the hero come rescue you, you ain't gonna get delivered. But there's another group that needs saving. And this one's a little harder sometimes to see. But, church, that's you and me. So, Jason, what do you mean by that? I mean that there are times after our salvation experience, when God has delivered us and changed our eternal destination, that we still get wrapped up in a mess. We do. We're plagued by bitterness. Fear controls our life. Lust has raised its ugly head and we have given in to temptation and we are trapped. Sin is so deceitful. And we wrestle with that. As long as we are in flesh and blood, we wrestle with our sin nature. And what happens is we get trapped and then we get ashamed. We say, God, I'm not worthy of you to rescue me the second time. I'm not talking about a second salvation experience. I'm talking about God getting you out of the mess that you found yourself in, that you're too proud to come to Him and ask Him to deliver you from. How crazy is that? My son is here today. I wasn't going to pick on Ethan, but I'm going to pick on Ethan. Come here, bud. He's going to love this. He is so not an introvert or an extrovert. This is my boy. He's handsome, isn't he? Good looking. He's 13 and single, so we're taking applications. If you got money, <laughs> what you think of that. Oh, man, get your girlfriend? Not so much. So, as a father, right, it's not a one time deal. It's absolutely ridiculous for me to give this boy some information and set him on the right path and expect that he's never going to need my help again. Now, there are times he needs my help, and God gives a parent a little insight, doesn't he? Those of you who are the parents, shake your head. You know it's true. That they're in a mess. You give them a little grace, see if they can figure it out. But you come back alongside because you love that kid. Because there's not a thing in the world you wouldn't do for that kid. It's no burden for you to rescue him again. Matter of fact, when they come to you and say, Dad, I'm in a mess, I don't know how to deal with this. Man, how does that make you feel? <laughs> like a dad. I can come alongside and I can rescue. I can pull him out and help along the way. But yet, we get things wrong. And we sit there in our own pride, in our own arrogance, in our own sin. God the Father knows where we're at. But we're too stinking stubborn to say, God... I need your help. I need some saving. My mind's not right. I know that you say that you love me, but I'm really struggling with it, man. I'm looking at my experience. And God, I know that you're working everything out to my good, but man, I'm bitter right now. I need help with this bitterness. I don't know how to deal with it. God, truth is, I'm in search of you because I'm so ashamed of my failures and I'm ashamed that I feel this way and I'm ashamed that I wound up in the same spot you saved me out of. But listen to me this morning. Christmas tells me and tells you that you need saving. You be seated. I want to close today with the book of Revelation. I did this in the first service, I'm going to do it again. Revelation chapter 22. It's the last couple verses of the Bible. Last, it's it. Everything that's been written has been written, everything that's been given has been given. Matter of fact, a few verses after this, you know, I know it applies to Revelation, but I like to see for the whole Bible, hey, it's done. Don't add any more words to it. Don't take away any words. This is complete. This is what it's supposed to look like. It is complete. But right before, I want you to open to Revelation 22. Take your Bibles out, your phones, your tablets, whatever, and I want you to see this. Man, is it 1208? Man, I would preach a long time today. Amen. All right. We're going to take a break and come back for another 35 minutes. Joking, joking. Now, this is how I read this verse. doesn't tell us how it's meant to be said, but this is how I hear it. As I read this, this is Christ himself speaking. End of the book, man. We've gone from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We're about to shut this thing down. And this is what Jesus has to say. And I hear it, with pleading in his voice. I hear it as if he is begging. I hear it emotionally. I hear it with his voice shaking, saying, I have done everything that I possibly can do. It is complete. I really do love you. I really am working it all out, man. I really am, and I'm worth seeking after. And listen, you really do need me to save you. So here's what I got to say. The Spirit and the bride say, come, just come. He that hears, not hears, but he that heareth, come. Come come I've done everything that I can do and let him who is a first. oh you're so parched you got nothing left you've gone to the end of your rope and you realize the hope isn't in you there is no life giving source in you there is no answer in you You that are a thirst, come. Just come. And whosoever, that's anybody. I don't care if you're white, you're black, you're green, you're purple. I don't care if you're a man, if you're a woman, if you're a boy, or you're a girl. I don't care if you're guilty of murder, fornication, adultery, lust bitterness, unforgiveness, hate. I don't care if you just got it wrong. I don't care if your world is falling apart. Who so ever will just come. Come and take, come and take the water of life freely. Freely. Because listen to me this morning, God really, really does love you. And God really, really is working out the perfect plan in your life. And God really, Christ really, really is worth searching after. And you really do need safety.